Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, despite all the off-pitch turmoil, Chelsea kept the title race alive. We even got a Brandy Chastain tribute. We also look ahead to the FA Cup quarterfinals this weekend after the FA announced the tournament's prize money will increase next season. And the NWSL Challenge Cup kicks off in the States this weekend. So we wanted to hear from someone right at the heart of it. Rachel spoke to Freya Coombe, the coach of newly formed Angel City FC, about coaching at US Soccer's new hot property. She's in full flow now, gliding across the pitch, Heitema helps it on, Becky time to cut inside a on! Oh, that's the quality there. Janine Becky, Canada's second best in this game, but a reminder of their quality. What an excellent goal that is. Guys, last week was quite intense, wasn't it? It's been a week. It's been a, a little. It's, it's been a hell of a week. Um... Rachel and I were following um, Chelsea Football Club around their kind of like dramatic <laughs> week. We were there on Thursday night in Dagenham. We were. One night in Dagenham, um, which was kind of weird. I, I felt weird from the moment I got there. And I spoke to some Chelsea fans about this on Sunday. I got there about half five. Um, and from the moment I arrived, it felt weird. There was no one there. The, the Chelsea coach was just about to arrive when I got there. And it just felt awkward and uncomfortable. And as I was driving to the stadium, I was listening to Five Live and they were talking about three suspending their sponsorship. And then I think Hyundai announced a, like a few hours later. And just everything was just felt really awkward and uncomfortable. I don't know if you felt like that too, Rachel. A little bit. It felt a little bit like an elephant in the room that none of us were really addressing. Totally. Um, and I can't imagine what it was like from a player perspective, having all of that going on while you're preparing for a game and you're on the coach to the game and getting off at the ground. And yeah, it must have been pretty weird for them as well. And we were both wondering how they were going to manage the whole three suspension thing. But they came out with the with three on their shirts. And, and even on Sunday, it was still around the ground, still on their shirts. So um, yeah, it was an unusual game. Um, they did well, I think, to kind of put it to bed and to kind of focus for the 90 minutes on the pitch. But um, yeah, I imagine it was quite difficult and it, it was unusual to to be at something like that and kind of 
not really addressing the big yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and then also the, the West Ham came out at the start of the game with a Ukrainian flag and they had the shirt of Andrei Yermolenko, plays for the men's side. He scored on Sunday as well. It was a really emotional goal for him. And Chelsea stood there in the centre of the pitch as well, but it just felt really strange knowing what had happened to their owner mere hours before the sanctions, his links to Vladimir Putin, and then the team standing there. With the, it just, everything about the whole occasion was strange. And then we went and did it all over again on Sunday at King's Meadow, both you and I, again, kind of, and the press, both times, the press boxes were very empty. Thursday night, there was myself, Sophie, a um, handful of other people. And then on Sunday, there was a handful of other people again. It was, it was bizarre because for me, Right now, this is the biggest story in town across the men's and women's game. And I know Chelsea fans have certainly felt like the the general press, the general football press have not been covering this story uh, uh, and how it affects the women's side as much. And I can kind of agree with them. The fact that, I mean, Thursday night, some people missed the accreditation deadline, which is fine. And I think some people join remotely for the press match on Zoom, for the press conference on Zoom. But on Sunday, everyone was at... Spurs City, in in football terms, the biggest story of the weekend. But this is the biggest story in football right now. And I was really surprised how it was based just me and you like, oh, cool. Hey, (laughs) I mean, it was entirely unintentional that I did Chelsea Chelsea. That wasn't the reason I did. And I think the fact that all of this happened so late in the week, I think a lot of journalists probably had their fixtures confirmed for the rest of the week. So that could be something to do with it. Oh, oh no, that's totally to do with it. Um, I mean, a lot of them would have felt, well, you know, this there isn't a conclusion to this story. Things are still unraveling. We still don't know what's going to happen. So let's just carry on and 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 go to Spurs City or whatever. But I was just surprised because you felt like it felt like we were kind of on this like traveling circus following <laughs> around to see what might happen next, to see what Emma Hayes is going to say next. And then actually things ended up being everything about what was happening on the pitch, which was great. And rather than the stuff off it with Sam Kerr just pulling off absolute magic in the last minute swinging a shirt round her head Emma Hayes trying to throw punches as well it was just so so good can we talk about that I loved that celebration and I've seen some maybe it's some salty people who aren't Chelsea fans but this thing of it like being not a good thing that she whipped her shirt off to celebrate oh my god come on I know on. but people are just fun sponges man oh. it's just the internet it's Vivian Miedema doesn't celebrate enough now Sam Kerr is celebrating too much like just Rachel oh, I always tell you you have to mute and block these people on social media <laughs> I'm trying to tell you this right don't let the fun sponges ruin it for you it was pure um, passion pure exactly passion. right and I think it's I think that's what the club needed at that time. They need an over exaggerated positive response to a really tumultuous, difficult week. And I think, you know, the response that Emma Hayes had to, you know, just getting that last minute um goal, getting that last minute win and riding the storm of a, a ridiculous week for the for the club is just fantastic. You can see how much it meant to them having gone through um such a difficult time. The players probably facing all kinds of uncertainty, not knowing what the situation is. We're obviously coming towards the end of the season. The players are probably thinking about contracts and the, their futures and things and to, you know, come off the back of that with two wins I think is a credit to the professionalism of the of the club. So yeah, Sam Kerr doing backflips and, and ripping her shirt off with, with passion is is fine by me. She she deserves it. So so um Sam Kerr getting a top off ten out of ten for Chloe Morgan, is that what you're saying? That oh, is you've go. twisted that. <laughs> you've made that weird. And that's I can see not the what headlines I intended. Now. That's gonna be the isolated <laughs> clip, isn't it? Um but also you I, I can I know and I would have been one of the people on Zoom saying this, if 
they had drawn that game and honestly goalkeepers union chloe hannah hampton was absolutely sensational on sunday and i was questioning the fact that she was in the england squad because i think she'd had a difficult season so far and she started that spain game but honestly she has just proved so many people wrong including myself um but I know that if the game had finished nil-nil, the conversation to Hayes and Chelsea would have been, oh, did did what was happening at the club this week? Did it impact the players? Do you, do you think they were feeling it a little bit? Because Chelsea were off. like They were sloppy in possession sometimes. They were making a lot of mistakes. They weren't finishing their chances. They weren't as ruthless as, as we've seen them in the last couple of weeks. And I feel like the narrative totally would have been about that. And then suddenly it was like, oh, these guys know how to win. They're champions. This is what champions do. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree that obviously off the pitch stuff would have had a massive impact on that. But when I was prepping for this game on Sunday, um, there is definitely going to be an element of tiredness in that Chelsea squad. Um, they've had games in the 5th, the 10th and the 16th. And they have games in the 20th, 23rd and 26th. So they've literally got three to four days max between games at the moment. Um, they're actually probably half relieved they're not in the Champions League anymore. Yeah, so <laughs> it doesn't matter how good a squad you are or how professional you are, you are going to suffer with fatigue. Um, and we, I know we also talk a lot about the depth of Chelsea's bench. And I think part of that is probably to do with the names that they can actually pull off the bench because they've got some unreal players in that squad obviously but they had two teenagers on the bench there on Sunday they had Fleming who had been released from Covid that morning and Cuthbert who had yet to train have a training session with the squad so that just gives you an idea of and Frank Kirby still out Frank yeah of course there was a lot of players out but in terms of who they actually had available that kind of gives you an idea of they were spread pretty thin and the fact that Fleming and Cuthbert both needed to come on I thought the bench did make an impact in that game um, Ingle was brilliant when she came on but that was the levels that Hayes had to go to to try and squeeze a win out of that game and I, yeah I'd say that was the biggest relief obviously not staying in the title race is obviously huge but I'd say the biggest relief is thank God the questions aren't going to be about how this, the players are impacted by what's going on off the pitch and, and we've yeah. got those three points I think in terms of but I also think we need to give credit to Villa because I think oh, they had a pretty decent game. They were sensational. Oh yeah, yeah massive credit. Chelsea to them. had some missed chances and I think yeah she should they, they should have converted a lot more of those opportunities but when you look at some of the emergency emergency defending that's going on the amazing saves from Hannah Hampton I think credit to to Villa who seems to be finding their feet a little bit more this season. So Yes, Chelsea could have done better, but I think Villa made it a, a bloody difficult little battle. Yeah, they were excellent. And I thought the midfield pairing of Rouge Littlejohn and Jill Scott is really starting to click. Um, they just need time, you know, and this is the thing in this game is like we've talked about it before, how expectations on new managers and, and relatively new squads is so high. But like they're it's there. It's gonna it's gonna come for them. They just need time. Um but yeah, I thought everyone was pretty exceptional. Yeah, I mean, we've got to talk about what's going on as well because um, it's it's been an interesting one. Like I said, I feel like a, a lot of the attention hasn't been around the impact on the women's side. And we don't know. There's a lot of questions that still remain about the impact of these sanctions, not just on the women's team, but on the men's team as well because the special licence that's been granted by the government essentially is like for like for the women's team and the academy side. So the same kind of... Um, restrictions on budget, the same kind of restrictions on contracts. Um, it's like for like for the women's team, and you know the the twenty thousand uh, away budget is not going to impact <laughs> the women's team. They're, they're not going to spend that much money. Um, but the contract situation obviously will. We've got some che- big Chelsea players, Drew Spence, uh, G being one of them as well. Um, who Marin Mielder, who are going to be out of contract in the summer. 
Now, a new owner may come in that the government negotiates sale with, and there's already been rumours about it potentially being a Saudi-based group. And that could make all the conversations around what's going to happen to the women's team completely redundant because the problem could be solved fairly quickly if a new owner does come in. But there certainly still is uncertainty around the team, around the amount of money that they're losing because of this, because they, they haven't got that financial backing at this moment in time. Conversations around the future of Thomas Tuchel on the men's side. Obviously, the same conversations must be having about Emma Hayes and her future there. Um, conversations about players on the men's side, you know, being willing to take wage cuts and things like that. And we know the men's team are going to be on a hell of, or are on a hell of a lot more than the women's players are earning. But there must be those same conversations happening in the dressing room where players kind of look at each other and, and Chloe, I'll come to you on this as, as someone who kind of obviously has that experience, kind of look at each other and saying, you know, I might want to think about what I'm doing next because I don't know what the future is going to look like at this football club. I think a lot of those players are going to be speaking to their agents and getting advice um, on, on where to go, potential new clubs, um, you know, how things are going to go. And I think this next couple of weeks, um, you know, I don't know what the situation is with the club speaking to the government about the, the sort of reducing of those sanctions or trying to sort of make make sure the main club can operate in, in as best and the most effective way as possible. But I think for, for me as a player, I'd be feeling pretty unsettled and potentially sort of looking at, well, I think one of the risks maybe is, is of clubs or, or, or clubs in Europe starting to look at, at Chelsea now as a little bit of a, uh, a ground for some fantastic players so what I don't want to see is obviously a drain from the WSL when when some of these fantastic top players that we have in in the UK right now are going elsewhere and I think you know like you touched on I think the the impact of not only just the, the men's and the women's clubs but also I'm thinking about the academy um, and you know these the young boys and girls who are going to be affected by that there's so much talent coming up especially in the, the girls academy from Chelsea um, and I don't want that to, to stop either so I just think that's that's a big concern for, for me as well. Yeah, and Chelsea have set the standard in many ways, not just on the pitch, but with the the way that the comms are delivered around the women's team. Until the sanctions, they had a live Instagram show that they would do at Kings Meadow and at some big away games as well. They were at the Conti Cup final. They were at all the home games. They were at City Academy Stadium for some of those big games at, at Boreham Wood, I'm, I'm sure, as well for, for, for the Arsenal game. And that's gone because of the sanctions. So that's a big element of of what the the women's team were doing from a kind of like marketing perspective, from a publicity perspective, um, and getting that awareness about the women's side. That's gone straight away. Obviously, there's a huge amount of sports science, coaching staff. You know, they've been setting the standard in women's football in many ways and driving the standard in, in women's football in many ways like getting their wallets out, signing the biggest players in the world in Panola Harder and Sam Kerr. And I suppose, is it going to be a situation that we've had in the men's game where other clubs are kind of like licking their lips in the potential of of stealing some of those players? Or is it more of a concern about, well, if we lose one of the, the big guns, how is what's the ripple effect going to be on other clubs? Yeah, maybe not so much other clubs. I think it will have a massive effect on Chelsea itself. Um, I think there is a concern there, especially in the women's game, like with it still being relatively new, you know, we can all still remember the the clubs that have been dropped and whatever stopped being funded um, by their men's team and, and ultimately either disappearing or dropping down the table. So I do think the worry, <coughs> excuse me, the worry around the women's team is, is entirely valid. Um, but yeah, I think what you're saying there, 
this idea of you know clubs coming in and kind of potentially poaching some of these big names is a risk. Um, it also raises some of the issues we've talked about in the past about quite short contracts um, and not having players sign up for kind of longer periods. Now, they do have players currently signed up until 2024, I think, as far as I'm aware. Some of the, I know the likes of Magda Eriksson and Pernilla Harder are until 2023. Sam Kerr, I think, until 2024. So if they can hang on to them, and Lauren James, is she's on a huge contract. Quite a long contract yeah. as well. So it's, I guess, about hanging on to them. And as you say, if this gets settled and resolved... Then it know, won't matter. Then it won't matter. Yeah. But it does kind of highlight some of the areas that maybe we naively thought we wouldn't have to worry about as much in the women's game anymore. And, you know, I think um, there is, some of the fans spoke about how the fear of that funding coming down from the owner, and, and it's not always guaranteed, is it? When we look at the concept of sports washing, which I would put the Abramovich-Chelsea era under that, and we've got examples of that yeah. across the whole Premier League, across the WSL as well, whether it's Newcastle and their Saudi Arabia-based owners, whether it's uh, Man City and Abu Dhabi-based owners, whether it's PSG and their Qatar-based owners, um, I think you'd put that under that umbrella. And I think why you'd probably, as a women's fan, think the women's team may be safe is women's football when it comes to sports washing, is a great move. And I think, you know, when you look at Man City and their rise, it certainly helped with that brand and that kind of method of sports washing. Because when you're trying to rebrand the reputation of a na- nation state or perhaps, you know, cause a few distractions of an, about for, for what a nation state is doing, supporting women's football and supporting women's sport is a great move because it does, it does rebrand that in so many ways because it shows that you care about certain aspects and it is a bit of a a positive distraction so in that respect I think it depends who the new owners is obviously uh, it depends who the new owner is but I do think that a lot of women's football fans could probably think well if my club does get taken over by a questionable owner women's football could be safe because these people don't care a lot of the time about the finances and the kind of raw materials and the and the balance sheets because money is no object for them what they care about is the brand and women's football is good for the brand but is that actually a negative thing well this is what i find frustrating like we've lifted the rock now and all of this kind of stuff and and a light is being shone on the amount of dirty money in football um and if the UK government turn around and agree to allow this Saudi consortium to take over Chelsea, it's all been for nothing. And we're just going to end up carrying on and going on about our business and forgetting about all these conversations that we've been talking about, which is really, really frustrating. It feels like there's a moment now where you can actually start to try and make a little bit of change. Yeah, I suppose I suppose we're at a stage, though, aren't we, in English football where it's like we're in too deep. And but, that's what that's what I feel like yeah. you, you mean. Whereas in like, well, now you've done it. There's a really good opportunity to like rip everything up and start again. But at the same time, we're in way too deep. So actually, yeah. if you, now it's like the horse, the horse has bolted long time ago, and you would really have to like, like get down to the bare bones in order to sort this problem out. To me, though, I think it'd be interesting to see what the response would be from players like the, you know, the more outspoken players, uh, Magdalena Eriksson, Peniel Harder, um, you know, and and what Emma Hayes would be saying if there was a questionable owner that took over, because you might well see that even though you know the club is saved financially, some of these players might walk away on a moral or ethical basis. So you know, they're they're outspoken players, so it, it'll be interesting to see whether they um, sort of tie their mask to their previous views on on issues like this. I think the thing is, though, is you would need a 
a genuine UK government actually wanting to make changes for the right reason and and not you know dirty money is is kind of is good money when it's approved <laughs> but you know yeah, surely exactly. at the end of the day dirty money is dirty money um and i think there was a good piece on versus uh, a chelsea fan kind of discussing the situation from their perspective and they had a really good line in it saying about while we continue to wave our blue flags we can't ignore the red ones and i thought that was a really good line because there have been red flags in the game for many 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 years and is this actually the moment where we're gonna i know we're in too deep but that's not a reason to try and change it, not to try and change to- totally. it. Totally. So. I, I, totally. I think, I mean, shout out Myra Quadri as well yeah. um, for that really, really good piece. Um, and I know he felt quite difficult about writing that because I think if you are a fan of that club, like w- I'm not a Chelsea fan. Chloe, you're not a Chelsea fan, are you? And no. you're ca- like, you know, obviously your wife's a Chelsea fan, but that connection isn't as deep as it is no. for her. And yeah. you can kind of, you know, it's easy to ta- detach yourself from that. And I do think it's hard when you are a fan of the club and that's why you see a lot of people on social media, I think, lacking some of that self-awareness in many ways uh, because you want your club to do well. You have an emotional bond and it's really hard to take a step back and think about the bigger picture. Absolutely. But I, I completely agree with you. I think it's vital that we do unpack this and see it as a moment in the game to get better. But unfortunately, I just think it's, it's just not logical. And, and when we look at the situation with Newcastle, I think I think I think that self awareness is massively important because I've seen people on my timeline who are you know re- really looking at what's going to happen for Newcastle United and their women's team as a really positive moment for, for women's football, and I couldn't disagree more because I think that is the absolute peak of sports washing. It's using success for the women's team to pay paper over the realities of what uh, a certain country is doing and when we look at, at the reality of the situation now and why why Roman Bromwich was welcomed with open arms to not just Chelsea but to the UK um, was because the UK and, and London was desperate for Russian money. It needed oligarchs to come over here, invest in businesses, to buy football clubs. And it was primed for this opportunity. And it's then ironic now that they turn around and say, oh, sorry, you can't own a football club anymore because it's all it's all about the flavour of the month. And now the UK government is in deep with Saudi Arabia selling millions and billions of arms to it, you know, going begging for it to produce oil because we're in an energy crisis and it needs the oil. And that is the flavour of the month and turning a blind eye to atrocities that are happening in Yemen because we need that money. We are desperate for it. And that's why you know the, the, the takeover of, of Newcastle went through in many ways is because that relationship and that bond is strong right now. But that can change in an instant. And we look at what's happening with the Bramovich and Russia and that changed, that relationship changed. And now the government realise, oh, we can't be doing that with oligarchs from Russia. But I think... There are two really important things here. It's that it's that what what are you comfortable with and what 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 are you happy to see in, in the game? And all of it is subjective, At right? At what cost? At what cost? And yeah. all of it is subjective. People say, Oh, I'm happy with this, but I'm not happy with this because there are so many grey areas We're here. Very subjective with our morals, yeah, I think. Exactly. And it's it's an uncomfortable situation, but you know, these conversations are important to have and from all aspects we should be looking at it from everybody's point of view and lots of different opinions rather than just kind of closing ourselves off to things that we don't agree with. I think ultimately the one thing I will say about this whole situation is that we should never lose sight of the bigger picture of what's going on in the world and that the war, this horrendous war in Ukraine, you know, as we continue to wake up every day in a safe country, 
with our health, you know, touch wood and our livelihoods kind of still intact, that we should count ourselves very, very lucky that, you know, these are the kind of questions we're asking ourselves rather than are we going to be safe today? So it's been quite an interesting week in terms of a lot of people confronting uncomfortable truths. Um, but whether we'll actually come out of the other side of it in a positive light, I don't know, or whether this is something, if this is going to be another flash in the pan. From a women's football perspective, though, I think the, the biggest frustration, I think, is is obviously what the clubs can't do. Um, in, in many respects, the women's clubs are, you know, their hands are tied behind their backs. They don't really have a seat at the table when these decisions are being made about who the owners should be and, and what ethical and moral considerations should be taken into account. So I think obviously these discussions need to be had and it's great that so much awareness has been raised around the issue. But I think it, it's so... I, I don't envy I don't envy the women's club's position because they're so reliant on the finances from the men's clubs. I, I don't think they're there. We don't have a position of power to be able to negotiate what, what's happening at that at that level. I totally agree. We demand equality and the equality we get is we're equal in sanctions, but we're not equal when it comes to decision making at the actual club table, at the board table. It's such a good yeah. point. I think the fact that it changes so quickly, we don't really have any real answers yet. Yeah. I think we'll be in a different position next week. We'll be in a completely different position in two weeks time. It's so fast moving. We don't really know what's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I think, but I think, like you said, it's an important moment for football to kind reflect. of reflect. Exactly, to have a bit of self awareness, have a bit of reflection, uh, and you know, the, the irony of Chelsea and Newcastle facing each other in the Premier League on Sunday was, I don't think, lost on many people. But it, it football is a is a toxic place sometimes so we'll see what happens but we'll keep you posted on this show and see see where it goes ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So back to the football. Um, there is going to be some football this weekend. The FA Cup is back. It's the quarterfinal stage. I have to say, all of the WSL clubs have got off pretty lightly on this one. And I mean WSL, I mean kind of like the big WSL clubs um, in terms of the favourites to win this competition. You've got Arsenal drawn against Coventry United at home on Friday. You've got Ipswich hosting West Ham, Man City hosting Everton and Chelsea hosting Birmingham on Sunday. All pretty juicy ties for the home sides there and the bigger WSL clubs and they'd all be looking at those draws and thinking pretty good chance we're going through to semi-finals yeah I, I would think that a number of those big teams have had some pretty big scares this FAWSL season so I, I would like to think they're going to be going into those games not taking it too lightly um, Coventry have been on a pretty decent run of form actually uh, the last couple of weeks they drew with Durham at the weekend beat Palace sorry Chloe um, drew with Charlton before that they two clean sheets in a row I think they'll set up pretty defensively against Arsenal. 
understandably, but it will be interesting to see how the Gunners break that down. Um, but there's a huge amount of resilience in that squad, and I think that's going to count for a lot in that fixture. I like um, upset watch. I mean, you went to that Southampton or Ipswich-Southampton game a couple of weeks ago, that ridiculous one where the Southampton goalie scored to take it to penalties. I feel like that's probably the biggest upset could be Ipswich, they're at home. We know, Chloe, you always talk about what how hard it is when you go to a National League side and the state of the pitch. So Ipswich are at home, probably going to be a good, rowdy crowd. I think that could be the upset. That could be, yeah, that could be very tasty. Um, it was quite a tight affair, I think, between the Hammers and Birmingham last weekend. Um, so I'm sure Ipswich were looking at that and looking at areas to exploit. Um, they'll need to be a bit more forthcoming with goals, I think, than they were when they played Southampton because it did feel like no one was ever going to score. Um, but that could be a very tasty fixture. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to call it. I'm going to say Ipswich won't win that game. Oh, oh I think went, I'm going to call it. Like, you're gonna, no, I was like, yes, here we go. Debbie Downer, here we go. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can't see them winning that game, in all honesty. I don't see them scoring any goals, but I don't see them conceding <laughs> in... <laughs> in full time I think they're going to park the bus and, and take it to penalties yeah I think and they're going to make it and you think West Ham will win it on penalties yeah yeah right I'll say that yeah why not okay I mean that's still fun that's still right. you know I'm going to throw one in here which will be entirely wrong because we've established that I cannot predict things for shit um, but Birmingham manager obviously you know calling on his squad to kind of revamp the public perception um, not sure how they're going to do that with an 8 point deficit uh, or 8 points you know from safety Um I do wonder if maybe focusing on a different competition will give them a kind of new lease of life. Maybe they smell blood a little bit with all the tumultuous stuff going on for Chelsea. Chelsea are tired. They're kind of depleted. Um, So maybe Birmingham can pull off an upset. I mean, we're probably going to come in here next week and it'll be like 6-0 and everyone's going to be like, yeah, get I'm her not, off the I'm, pod. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure where you're going with that one. I'm trying to be <laughs> yeah, positive I was gonna here. Say, Rachel, I'm normally on board with everything you say, but that's, um, that's a big know. ask. Listen, I was right know. about Viv Stenius. I could be right about this. <laughs> yeah, and the other big FA Cup story this week is prize money because we finally have the number for the new uh, prize money for the FA Cup Ka-ching. from next season. £3 million prize pot. We don't know the distribution yet, which is the key thing, because we spoke about when this was hinted at last time when they released that news that was going up. We said it's all about the distribution. It's all about the split uh, at each round and making sure that the whole pyramid benefits from this and it's not just the rich getting richer. So very intrigued to see when that's confirmed. They did say that a disproportionate amount will be going into the earlier rounds. That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. So hopefully, you know, that's positive. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and I suppose for you, Chloe, as well, you've had a lot of experience playing this competition. Do you think it just instant? I know it, like the history is there already. When you look at the Conti Cup and you look at the FA Cup, Conti Cup's only been going 11 years. Um, and the FA Cup has so much history. Just the trophy alone is so nice. It's so cool. Like Just when you think of English football, you think of the FA Cup. So we know it's already an attractive tournament, an attractive competition. But do you think increasing this just makes it that much more special? It just gives it a bit more respect and a bit more status, and it doesn't just in some ways like become an amateur competition. Like When you look at some of the prize money, it makes it seem amateur. I think it's definitely going to be taken a lot more seriously now by clubs lower down in the league because I think um, in the in the sort of national leagues um, and and lower, 
I think now because it actually means that winning the game is going to mean something. It's not going to mean you win this game and then actually your club's going to be out of pocket for the next stage. That was the reality of how the situation was. So, you know, when you look at how, you know, some of the clubs have progressed this year with Coventry now being the quarterfinals, teams like Ipswich being in the quarterfinals and, you know, what that would mean to them to take it through to the, to the, to the semifinals would be a fantastic result. And I think it's not only just the prize money, but the kind of kudos that, that goes with that. And I think we're going to see sort of more of the games being covered as well, which would be great. Um, exposure for some of the teams lower down the league so yeah I think the the sort of the attraction of the FA Cup the kind of momentum that it's going to see behind it I think is definitely going to increase in uh with with next year I think I think it's fantastic yeah and you don't have to worry quite so much about stuff off the pitch as well surely you know hopefully we're not going to be seeing clubs having to crowdfund to to get to a match they can actually focus on I was going to say I think there may there may be an adjustment coming as well and on the split of gates but I need to follow up on that but that would be important as well because we know at the moment that the home side keep everything so it's great for a team like Ipswich hosting West Ham because you get a big crowd and they they have to pay for you know all the costs of things but it also means that they get to keep everything and the the, they keep all the all the gate receipts but there does need to be a bit more of an even split in that like we see um in the men's side so for example if it's a big if it's a WSL team hosting uh an away side that they get a bit more of a of a split with that because at the moment it is you know completely with the home side so that'll be interesting but I mean Ipswich must be a bit annoyed because if they got to yeah. this stage next <laughs> season they'd probably be taking home a lot more yeah. than they are right now but hopefully with the backing that they've got, um, and especially with with Southampton, like next season, you'd like to see these teams back there again. But it, it's good news. We'd be, I feel like we've been waiting so long for this, and I think it just it just elevates things instantly. And I do, I actually do think, like I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but I just do think, like bigger picture and the perception, I think it will shut up a lot of the people on Twitter who are like, oh look, the prize money's only like two grand, so you know, like the national league gets more than that, wah, 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 which is always what you get when you have a conversation about women's football and and prize money and equal pay. Everyone's like, oh, but you know, you need what like three thousand pounds, wah, wah, wah. I think it's really important because I think it will just shut up a lot of those people on the internet and give the the Women's FA Cup the respect it deserves. So now something a little bit special for this week, which is very exciting because we've we've got a big name on the on the show. Um, because the End of a Cell Challenge Cup returns this week, and there's going to be a new kid. In town with Angel City FC. Lots of people may have heard of them because they've got some big owners, some celebrity owners, Sweeney Williams, Natalie Portman, Eva Longoria, as well as some of the 99ers, Mia Hamm, Julie Faldi, among others. So it's the big name in women's football right now. The team, Angel City FC, are being coached by a Brit who's played over here and has been coaching in the US for a little while now. Freya Coombe was coaching at Reading until 2014 before she headed over to the US and took charge of Sky Blue and Gotham FC in the NWSL. Last year, she was named the first coach of Angel City ahead of their new season. Yeah, so ahead of their game on Saturday, uh, I sat down with Freya to chat about her career, her transition into coaching and what it's like on the eve of this new era for women's football in LA. Thank you so much for um, taking time to chat to us. Really appreciate it. So you played for Reading over here for five years before moving across to the United States. How much change do you see over that time in a professional sense? Yeah, so I was at Reading. I left in uh, 2014. That was when I came over to the States. Um, And I've been in the States now for about eight years, just coming up on eight years. So, um, But during my time at Reading, I saw huge changes there at the club. 
um, with the you know with from the academy then having the first team going professional um, when Jane Ludlow came in and worked with Kelly Chambers we saw a big change in the in the level of the team there and then ever since I left in 2014 it's just continued to get stronger and stronger the permanent the move to the Medeski has, has been absolutely brilliant for the club um, and I think that's been reflected in in the global game too with the with the raising standards and the developments that we've seen particularly in you know in the Spanish league uh, Italian league and now um, all over so I, th- I think the game is changing a lot do you keep an eye on them do you keep an eye on their scores or do you try and catch some of the matches when you can uh, I, I definitely keep an eye on the scores I get the game notifications uh, through my football app each week um, so always keeping an eye out and uh, keeping in touch Grace was there um, in the academy when I was a coach in the academy um, and she's you know she's still going strong in goal and obviously Kelly and Phil and all the staff um, were the with the staff that I sort of coached with and were my peers as we were running the girls academy there so yeah always keeping an eye out and wishing them to do well and celebrating when Kelly got manager of the month that was awesome so yeah cheering her on and speaking of the US you know what are some of the differences you've noticed since moving there? Um, obviously, first with Sky Blue, now Gotham FC, and now obviously a really exciting um, club now at Angel City. What are the differences over there? Yeah, I think um, the biggest one for the English game is crowds. You know, if we're looking at Angel City, you know, this year we've got a stadium of the capacity of 22,000 and having sold at this moment in time 14,000 season tickets, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, and I think that's something where the this league has particularly got a bit, a bit of an advantage on the, the English game in terms of being able to draw a crowd. And I think, you know, that's something that the national team here have set in place and now we continue to get uh, people in the crowds and there's just such an excitement and such a buzz around around this new project in Los Angeles so you know I, th- I think that's huge and that's a part of the game where I think it's continued to grow and you know we're seeing that the amount of sponsorship dollars coming into the game as well particularly with Angel City at setting new new levels and new standards so that's a really exciting project to be part of and, and that's a big reason for the move for me to come here is to be part of something that's so big and so new it's it's been an exciting time you've obviously you know appointed in, a, in this new role and you have a bit of time uh, ahead of the season starting what are like both the challenges and the opportunities of having that that time yeah so it, it's kind of strange because you think you know you've got time so I officially started in November with the club so you know most people would look at it as pre-season starts on the 1st of February you've got so much time to you know put in place you know the sessions and how you want to play and all this kind of stuff but at the same time you've got to build a team so you know most of November and December was spent just watching players and looking at recruitment and thinking you know we've got the expansion draft we've got the college draft over here as well so you know you have to be up on who all the best college players are and then being prepared for all the different contingencies so we went into it with first round picks second round picks and then you know made trades and and got players in through the door with experience and then you know that changed all the rounds and the college players that would then be available for us when we when we actually did come in in the third round of the draft so you had to have a really good knowledge of all the college draft players not just you know the top ones but also the ones that may be you know in the round three and still available 
Um, and yeah, so it was it was so busy in recruiting, and I think that's you know gave us an opportunity as well to, you know, after we're done with recruiting, then to sit down as staff um, and think about okay, this is what we want, but we had to build our staff team too, um, and you know this is the first time that most of us have worked together. I'd worked with um, Dan, the goalkeeper coach, before, but everyone else is is new, so you know that that presents a challenge in itself in terms of getting to know each other, what's expected, setting rules um you know and objectives and goals as staff members too so I can tell you those three months went pretty quickly and how does it feel for you like you're joining a new project does it feel like you can put your own stamp on things you know it's there's not already an established you know club there you can kind of have a part in all different aspects not just the coaching side of it yeah, I think there's elements where, you know, I'm mostly in charge of the coaching side um, because of the roles and responsibilities. And we do have a large number of staff at the club, um, whereas in previous roles, you, you're kind of being asked to do a little bit of everything. But here, my job is very much focused on coaching the team. And so, you know, when I get the players that have come in to the club that the sporting director has recruited, then my job is to coach the team and, and to put the best product out on the field. So, you know, that's my area of focus. And I think we're really fortunate that we have so many people that are amazing at their job um, at the organisation to help then, you know, be able to fulfil the other roles within the club. Um, you know, our media content team is an absolute beast and the content that comes out is such a high level. Um, we have a fantastic community department. We have an amazing sponsorship and revenue department that are able to put us in the position that we are. Um, and, you know, the management of the club it is absolutely brilliant and the leadership that we've got. So, you know, we're very fortunate that we have a large staff base in order to, you know, everyone can really be specialists in their roles. Just looking back on your previous role, how was it trying to coach during a pandemic? Yeah, that was that was a huge challenge because um, we'd only completed the first week of preseason and then we got shut down. Um, New York was very heavily hit. So I think we felt the gravity of the situation being in the New York market, whereas I think there were some other teams across the league where we got shut down nationwide but covid really wasn't a problem in in some of the you know other towns and cities across the league so they were kind of like shut down and like well what's going on and then you know in, in new york we had a, a very severe situation with you know so many casualties unfortunately um but the biggest thing is we learned how to pivot i think some things were were really interesting actually in terms of you know learning how to do film via zoom um, and doing match analysis with players logging on and dealing with some of the technology issues and I think the biggest thing for us was trying to keep going where you know we had new players in again trying to bring everyone up to speed and in, in terms of the start of the preseason, um, in terms of how we want to play but then it was like well when are we actually going to go and play there was so much uncertainty um, so the biggest thing that we did as well was outside of the football stuff was really make sure that we checked in and had regular contact with the players so you know we we've launched coffee mornings for players that maybe moved into the 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 area of the country where they didn't know anyone we hadn't really had much of pre-season for them to really bond with their teammates they weren't allowed to socialize everyone had to stay inside because we were really shut down in the area that we were in so it was really on you know reaching out and making sure that everyone was taking care of themselves and had what they needed to have and you know getting Instacart deliveries to, to players, you know, if they weren't allowed to go to the grocery store, things like that. So, um, yeah, it was it was a hectic time, but it was a, it was a time where, you know, you learned a lot about yourself and your teammates. I bet as well. And then I know a lot of the players have said it here as well. It really makes you value when you can come back together and you can train together and be back on the pitch. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, there was a real sense of, you know, relief when, you know, we got, managed to get on in, into the Challenge Cup. And I think everyone really enjoyed um, being back together, being training back on the field and training um, when we could. And then obviously, you know, went off to the Challenge Cup and with the first uh, professional sports league back to have games. So that was really exciting because I think that, you know, that opportunity gave a lot more um, exposure to the league and we had a lot more players and people watching our games which was great um so hopefully on the tail end of COVID now so we can move on to your your positive you know positive things and your new project um any aluko obviously the new director of football at angel city who we know quite well over here um what's it been like working with her yes you know it's it's been great it's a it, it was another weird one where I was based on the East Coast, she was in England. And although we'd been working together for three months, we didn't actually meet in person until January. So, you know, that was that was kind of strange. It was like, ah, oh, we've been working together for so long, feel so familiar with each other. And then it was like, okay, nice to meet you finally. So <laughs> that was uh, that was interesting. But no, it's been good. Obviously, she's got great experience from not only her playing days at Chelsea and, and with England and, you know, lately, more lately, with Juventus as well so got a good reach and good knowledge of players within the within the league um, and you know the global leagues really so it's been uh, fun to work with her and and have her sort of lead on that player recruitment and you know we can't not talk about your investors and have you had any any dealings with any of them in the club it's it's quite the lineup yeah, um, you know, it, they've been absolutely brilliant. They're all very, very supportive and enthusiastic about the club. Um, so it was kind of strange the first day of pre-season where you have your kickoff meeting and Natalie Portman's there sort of rallying the troops and talking to all the players. Um, so it, it's been great. They've been really involved and it's nice to see the investors coming in and, and Julie Foudy screaming on the sidelines at a pre-season game. It, and, you know, it's it's been really, really great. Um and loved having them around and you know in the environment and they're really excited about the first game we've got a number of them coming in and you know it's just brilliant how much that they are backing and behind the team that must be so surreal though when you you look back at even women's football in England where it was maybe 10 15 years ago and now you're standing on the sideline with Natalie Portman like giving a rallying speech that must be so surreal yeah it, it's yeah it's kind of crazy um to think about it um uh, but it, it's it's really great you know I'm, I'm thinking about you know when we have our first game at the bank of california it's i think it's going to be quite a celebrity lineup in the in the crowd so it'll be a bit of a who's who i think because there's so many people that are just behind it and not even if they're an investor in the club but there's you know celebrities that we know that are you know, fans of football and want to get behind their their local team. So it's it's going to be great. Oh, it's amazing. Very jealous. Um, sponsor the team must allocate ten percent of of the deal to projects in the local area. Um, how important do you think that is? And and have you managed to visit any of them yet? Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, you know, I think this is really groundbreaking and something that we're doing. It's not just token money being shared with the club. It's actually getting sponsors and people and brands that are aligned with what we want to do in the community. Um, you know, the pla- having a platform to be able to communicate um, and be able to have that vehicle to be able to go out into the community and, and actually facilitate being involved in community projects. So, you know, it's it's great to see some of the events. Um, I haven't been there yet, uh, just because we're still in a kind of a bit of a COVID-y time. So we're still trying to be quite careful um, with, you know, how 
how much mixing that we're doing outside of the team environment and also you know pre-season it can be a, a bit of a, a tricky schedule but I know that I, I will definitely be out at some of the events um, when the time allows because you know it's it's brilliant whether it's you know going down Venice Beach and working with skateboarders in a female skateboard league whether it's having a big empowerment event for at the bank for International Women's Day um, I think there's so many good, great things that are being done by our community team and our sponsorship team with our sponsors so very grateful for the model that we've got and being able to see that change that's uh, that's out there right now yeah for sure it's amazing um can you give us any insight on how you guys are looking to play um having someone like Kristen press obviously is a huge boost for any team yeah she's uh she's been absolutely brilliant so far in pre-season um really excited to have her back in and playing and she she's looking really good and i think there's a number of players on the front line that will complement the way that she plays and you know she'll complement the way that they play i think they're starting to gel and come together now um, so that we'll definitely have an exciting lineup, um, you know, going forward. Don't want to give too much away because that's that's the element of surprise in terms of the Challenge Cup. But I think if anyone's seen uh, how I played at Gotham, there'll be some similarities to there in terms of the way we want to have the ball and, and possess the ball. But I think there'll be a little bit of a change that reflects, you know, the personnel that we have within our group. And overall for the season, what are your goals? Obviously, you touched on having sold 14,000 season tickets already, which is unbelievable. Um, does that kind of add to the pressure or is it just adding to the excitement? Definitely uh, the excitement. I think having that many fans and you know knowing that, well, not knowing, but I'm pretty certain that we're going to sell the bank out for our first home game. Um, and just to have that level of interest, plus the nature of the supporters here that, you know, they're very, very passionate supporters, very vocal. So I'm excited to, about that game day atmosphere, as I know that the players are. Um, so, you know, with that, there's an element of pressure because now we have 22,000 people that we need to entertain. Um, not to mention the play, uh, the fans that are watching at home and in other markets. So there is a little bit of pressure to entertain, but at the same time, that you know, I know that the team, the way they're playing at the moment, is has been really entertaining. You know, as a coaching staff, we've loved watching it in practice um, and, and working with the players. So a little bit of both pressure and excitement. But for our team now, you know, we know that we can go out and hit the league and looking to try and and get ourselves into a playoff spot. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and final one for me, I just wanted to ask a little bit about this being kind of, it's a project, it's a long-term project. And, you know, any, I know any spoke a bit about ensuring that you've got a good culture and a good environment. And I know we've seen over here sometimes the expectation of results almost immediately. Um, whereas there, it feels like, you know, that this is a long-term project that you can invest in and, and it's about growing the team. Is, would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at the history of expansion teams within the league, you know, they've always finished, you know, either at the bottom or, you know, in the bottom two. So for us, you know, in terms of our performance on the field, you know, we're looking to try and increase that. And But the reality is it's very hard to bring a team together. And after six weeks of pre-season, trying to gel that team to a, you know, a a team that's going to perform better than other teams that have been together for many years and, and, you know, players that have that familiarity with playing with each other so that's a really difficult task for us but I think if we're looking at the project as a whole you know in terms of what the club's going to do it's not just on the field but it's that bigger um, you know the bigger piece of what the brand's trying to do in terms of raising the game and um, providing a quality you know in the in the sports arena 
So I think, you know, anything when you're trying to attempt a a challenge like that, that's going to take some time to do. I think we've been really happy with what, as a club, we've been able to achieve already. But, you know, that's just the start for us to become the club that we want to be and the size that we want to be in terms of the global market. That's something that doesn't happen overnight um, and it is a slow burner. So, you know, I think when you're looking at that bigger picture, then it is going to take time for us to continue to develop. But I think everyone at the club would be really happy with the progress that we've been made uh, in such a short period of time. Well, I'm hoping that it all goes really well, because no doubt you'll be not only inspiring clubs over there, but across the pond for sure. Like to kind of try and replicate that anywhere would be amazing. Um, As you say, not just on the field, but your media team, everything. it, It looks like something that could definitely inspire a lot of people. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, you know, other clubs are already starting to have the conversation with um, where we kind of set that precedent is the community team that we have and our street team and, and the fantastic work that they do. Um, and, you know, how important it is for uh, for them and the work that they do for us to have a fan base. And they've been so key in getting us out into the different neighbourhoods, really embracing all the areas of the community and, and bringing that community into the stadium. Um, so, you know, we're really great to them to have them and not only the great work that they're doing in the community but then how that's going to affect the game day experience amazing well i'm going to really hopefully get over to to the us at some point and try and see some of these games it would be amazing to be in a, in a stadium with twenty two thousand people watching you know a domestic game be unreal um but yeah just thanks so much for talking to us it's really interesting to to hear it from your point of view especially with a new project like this um just to see how it's all kind of taking off i'm really excited to see how it all pans out Great. Well, thanks very much for having us. And obviously, you're very welcome whenever you come over. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get a win for you. Yeah, great to hear from Freya there. And I'm pretty sure we'll be able to watch all of those games on the NWSL's Twitch channel, which is really, really good. You can stream them for free. Um, The commentary is interesting, shall we say. Um, But you can watch all the games for free, time difference-wise, sometimes dodgy. But it's great that they've got more competitions in the end of a cell because you just want more football. Um, What's everyone doing this weekend, Rachel? Uh, I'm hoping to be at Arsenal on Friday. And then I'm staying on the Chelsea choo-choo train and uh, hopefully getting into Chelsea versus Birmingham. So two FA Cup games for me. Chloe? Uh, we don't have a fixture this weekend. We're Ooh. off on a break. Uh, so the missus is taking me away to a cabin in the woods. Oh, how are you managing she... that with one leg? <laughs> with your will. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be driving. So if I don't turn up on Tuesday, someone you're in a cabin in the woods someone. somewhere. Yeah. Are you driving? Uh, no, the missus okay. is going to drive. Okay, I was going to say um, that should be yeah. an interesting drive. <laughs> it is. She's not driven in a while. So oh again, if oh I don't turn God. up on Tuesday, it's uh, it's probably because I've got another broken leg. Um, okay, so yeah, interesting. We need a prayer circle for Chloe to come back next week. <laughs> that's very exciting. Um, I have got the Sunday off. I'm at uh, Reading in the Championship on Saturday. And then Sunday, I'm going to watch QPR at home to Peterborough. So I won't be at a women's game. Um, Ew, men's football. I know, right? Smelly. Um, but uh, that's it for today's episode of Upfront and Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions, tweet at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. And we'll see you all next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.